0: Welcome to the Slow Church podcast. I am Eric Quinn, joined by my wonderful co-host Ryan Heisler. Ryan, how's it going?
1: It's going pretty well. How are you doing, Eric?
0: Dude, I'm tired.
1: So I'm tired. why are you so tired?
0: Well, I've been I've been in Australia for the last seven days, nine away from my home, but seven days in Australia. We oh. yeah we we came down here to go up to uh, Townsville, uh, which is part of Queensland, to take a tour of the upcoming 2024 World Triathlon Multisport Championship that's being held in Townsville uh, between uh, August 14th and August What is it, 25th of uh, 2024. And then when we were at it, uh, we had an opportunity to go to the NUSA Try. Um, which I just got back from. Um and I've never been to the news to try. Um, and so really at the end of the day, when I decided whether or not I really wanted to travel 36 hours to get to Australia. Well, I, I lie, it wasn't thirty-six, it was like twenty-eight. Um, it felt like thirty-six, but it was like twenty-eight hours. Um the the combined um trips really made it worth it for me and um and slow twitch to come down here to to check it out so, so
1: for the uninitiated right like what is the Nusa triathlon
0: so the Nusa triathlon is well it's arguably the largest olympic triathlon in the world currently um it seems like it kind of goes back and forth between london and noosa and then some other triathlon. Um, Chicago's
1: huge ones, that.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I think what it kind of you know it it all goes back to how you count the numbers, right? Like um, some some races have like you know multi events, and they like to count you know numbers twice and all that kind of stuff. And um, but I would say that Nusa is probably the coolest multi-sport triathlon that I've ever been to outside of maybe the old, um, wildflower, just because that was like epic camping and, I mean, naked aid station runs and all that kind of stuff. That was just pretty wild, but, um, it was pretty rad, man. I was, I was blown away and, and yet again, reminded of just how fortunate they are over here to have community that really embraces these events um which i feel like we lack a little bit in the united states not not to give the communities a bad rap over the united states because they definitely do they allow them right they embrace them we got tons of you know local volunteers and all that stuff but um we just you know there's not a lot of races with this much history that uh has formed over a you know 30 40 year time period because is the 40th year that it was, it was going on.
1: Yeah. And I mean, they had, I think the number that I saw was roughly 6,000 people racing, you know, in one of the various categories that they had on offer. That was, Um, that was,
0: that was, that's, that's low. It's, uh, it's more than that, but yeah, (laughs) Um, there's about 13,000 participants over the week. Um, and that's not doing double counting that's like actual of like participants that are doing each, each individual event. So they start Wednesday with a swim run, um, which I'm surprised I didn't see Herbert here. Um, but they, they did a swim run on Wednesday and then, um, Thursday they, they do, um, some, they do a, uh, is it Thursday or Friday? Dude, my dates are all messed up. Um, cause I'm, I'm like 17 hours ahead of you guys still, um, Thursday they, they do some events and then there's, there's a big charity event that they do in the morning where it's a, uh, it's a run for breast cancer awareness. Um, they had like 2,500 runners show up for this 5k and uh, everyone's in like pink outfits and tutus and, just really good great fun and um and then they've got uh uh swimming events and then and then on Friday super friday um they've got um some amazing professional uh women crit race that happens and a professional men's crit race that happens and then they have a um it's called the bolt which is a, a 5k road running race and so they get these professional um, you know short course running athletes to show up and um and they 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 do like this four loop course well it's four turns so it's like two loops but it's like 480 degree turns um you know and you had you had the, the male winner come in at like 330 i think and then the female was like high 15s um so and then and they 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 do the the chase with the the run where You've got, um, you know, the females go off like two minutes before the guys and then the guys yeah, try to choose a the
1: prize purse. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so it's just, um, you know, and then you, you have not even gotten to the triathlon yet. I mean, these are right. all things that kind of take over the, the whole city, you know, days before and, uh, and then you've got the triathlon and, um, there's 6,000 individual um racers and and then there's an additional like 1500 team members that participate and so you've got just over like 7500 bikes in a transition area um uh, which was mind lot you know, mind-blowing to see. Um I did a a time-lapse of the transition and um I ended up starting to skip rows because I was like twenty-five minutes deep into walking this transition area, my battery is starting to die on my little gimbal, and I was only like halfway done. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, they kind of they kind of get the point.
1: <laughs> so you didn't do a bike count,
0: uh? No, no. <laughs> we talked about it though.
1: <laughs> It'd be interesting, you know, to be honest, because I think, you know when we look at say ironman world championships right like we're we're looking at you know a lot of times what many consider the pinnacle of the sport for better or for worse right and it would be interesting to see kind of how equipment evolves when you go to some of these really large scale um alternate races right like a NUSA or um even in Growth, right? Like I think it would just be unique to kind of get those different perspectives because you would have kind of more um you know, let's call it, you know, average athlete equipment.
0: Yeah. Or 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 equipment that's that's suited for the event that they're doing, right? Like, you know, I mean, it's it's possible, but it's really hard to do an Ironman distance on a mountain bike but if you're talking about an olympic distance like that's a lot more you know feasible to do um we did a um a drone time lapse of the um the transition and uh one of the uh comments was um you know like how much money do you think is in the transition and they guessed like 40 million and and i kind of did the math and um you know at, like you know 7,500 bikes and average of like, you know, I put like 2,500 bucks down for an average of a bike because there was a lot of, there was a lot of road bikes. There was a lot of, um, you know, there was mountain bikes in there, you know? And so you didn't have like 7,500 bikes that, that were, you know, completely decked out. There was a lot of them there, but I would say probably 30% were bikes that were eight, 900 bucks, um, which was awesome to see. Because it just goes to show you that the sport isn't dead and that we've still got some growth that is able to happen. Um, but it was, man, it was cool. Like it'd been a long time since I've been in an event that well organized, um, where the community embraced it that much. And um, and then and you know, it was just it was being around a bunch of Aussies and they're just funny, you know, they're they're super cheeky. They um, they they tease each other all day long. Um, they're very witty about it, and um, you know, no one no one gets butt hurt either. You know, everyone's just having a, a good time.
1: I mean, a, a couple of thoughts off that, right? Like from a community standpoint, the closest we probably get in the United States is with like our large, long-standing marathons. In terms of like a community outpouring, number of athletes, um, and that overall sense of everyone's trying to get to some type of personal improvement um, out of it. And then, secondly, you know, like just from a cultural standpoint, right, like there is a lot of just ribbing back and forth that comes with the territory um you know and i'm used to that kind of environment myself too and i find myself like sometimes having to do more self policing of that kind of thing just because you know like depending on your company you may or may not have that whereas like in all of my interactions um kind of with australians including with our own community like i mean it's a rite of passage in terms of once the doors open, like the filter comes on.
0: Yeah. And it's, it, it's history, right? You, and and I, I forgot to mention there's this one race that was, was my favorite event that, that happens on, um, super Friday and it's called the legend, uh, race and it's a relay And what they do is they get a bunch of celebrities and also a bunch of, um, you know, OGs in the sport to come out and participate in this really short course relay that is done on the same circuit as the crit and the 5k. And so they're doing these loops and they, and the swimmers, um, you know, they start at the beach and then they end at the, um, this little river that's behind where the swim used to be. And, um, they uh so they it's like a short swim it's a short bike around loops and it's a short run um and there's like 15 20 teams um that are there and so you've got like you know just these um and and everyone's in like these you know these particular like kits that they that they that they pull over you know their 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 clothes and stuff and uh you know so you've got thousands and thousands of people that are you know, around this area, watching all of these like old school athletes and these celebrities try to compete against each other. And, um, you know, you've got people that are cheating on purpose. They're cutting corners, you know, just to have a good time. And, you know, everyone's laughing about it. And, um, you know, the announcers are, uh, you know, having fun with it. And, uh, it's just, it's just good fun, you know, and you've got world-class athletes there that are doing it. And, uh, you know, and it's just, it, it took the seriousness out of what you know we always try to i, I guess where we get stuck in all the time, and uh, it was just good fun and um, I don't think I've laughed so hard watching a race ever in in my life, and um so it was just it was just good, it was just good for wholesome fun, wholesome activity, um you know, and is this beautiful beach town resort um that was just really. Yeah. It was awesome to be at. And I'm excited to get home. (laughs) A lot of stuff to do.
1: I was going to say when, when you get home, what are some of the things that we here at Slow Twitch should expect to see coming out of your trip?
0: Well, we've got a lot of information that we've got to share with the community about Townsville and what's going on in Townsville um, that in, in August. And so you know, it's a big qualifying, uh, race for world triathlon. Um, and, and what we want to do is we want to, we want to break it down a little bit more than just a, a typical press release. So we've got some articles that are coming on, on, um, you know, world, uh, uh, you know, triathlon in general and the qualification processes that they do to, you know, to make you qualify for these races. Mm-hmm. Also, I want to give a lot of information out on how they choose to partner with people that put on their races, um, the fees associated with it, um, what the participation, um, you know, what the partners receive, um, you know, because they're, they're, they team up with everybody, you know, they're teaming up with the PTO, they're teaming up with Ironman, they, they team up with other local, local race directors to put these on, you know, essentially what they're doing is they're looking for people who know how to put on races, can hold to their standard, um, and then they trust them to put on the event the best that they can. And, and I think we need to dive a little bit deeper into that so that the audience knows, you know, when they go to a race, what they can expect. Um, and then we're going to go into all of the events that are going to be hosted there, uh, during that eight, nine day time period. Um, you know, because there's definitely a chance for people to qualify for multiple events and go there and do You know, two or three events throughout the week. um, If they're not just doing, you know, the long course, which is on the final day. Um, And then also, you know, if you're an American and you're going all the way to Australia, um, what else you can do with your time to make it a little bit more worth it um, on the travel aspect? Because it does, it takes a lot. It's a lot of effort, it's a lot of money to get over there. And, um, but it's, But it's really cool. And it's totally different up in up in Townsville. Um, I kind of felt like I was in a Crocodile Dundee movie more so than anything.
1: I mean, I think one of the things that's really kind of interesting, right, is, you know, for all intents and purposes, world triathlons following the old licensing model, right? Like they want to partner with whomever it is to kind of put on the event you know regardless of you know what their other sort of brand portfolio looks like and i think you know as ultimately the sport's top end governing body like that's a really interesting relationship for them to have
0: yeah i i agree um you know and and we're going to dive into a lot of that in future articles and also you know, future podcasts, because I was really intrigued listening to the staff at Ironman Oceana about the process and, you know, what was easy to work with and what was difficult to work with, um, and getting their opinion on things on just, because this, this race was actually supposed to happen like three years ago. And so it's been continuously delayed. Um, you know, and so which, which is a good thing and a bad thing, right? Like it's, it's, it's hard to keep things, you know, excited for it, particularly from an athlete perspective, you know, cause you cry wolf so many times on like getting people pumped and ready to go. But at the same time, it's given, you know, Ironman Oceana and, you know, the local, you know, governing body of the community of Townsville, like years to continue to foster their plan for you know, the perfect event that's going to go there and go there once. And, and they really have, I mean, the amount of resources that they've been able to pull in from that community up there is, is amazing. We met with the mayor, we met with the police department, we we met with the military, and just everybody that is involved with making sure that the event goes off well and that the community is supportive of it. Um, you know, it's three years in the making. It's almost like an, a mini Olympics if you want to right. really like look at the time commitment that's put into it.
1: And I think, you know, this is potentially going to be one of those interesting questions, right? Because it's World Triathlon and I mean, Ironman, Ironman broadcast the noose of triathlon this past weekend, right? Like that was their big choice. You know, is this going to be on Triathlon Live like when World Triathlon's event happens next summer, like, will it be on Triathlon Live? Is, you know, Ironman going to be more involved in the broadcast? Or where does that sort of shake itself out? And, you know, there's, there's positives and negatives to both approaches, right? In terms of what that coverage may or may not look like.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. By the way, Ryan, we have a guest today.
1: Yes. And, you know, it's super interesting that you bring up You know, all this mention of community and, you know, going back to the bike count, talking about like, you know, seeing kind of less expensive bikes. Because one of the things that we have all sort of noticed is like we have an economic barrier to entry to our sport overall. And this person is doing a fair amount of work, you know, to try and break down some of those barriers into our sport. She also happens to be the 2022 Ironman world champion. But, you know, like, brief aside, but Chelsea Sodaro is our guest on today's Chelsea, podcast. welcome to the program.
2: Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here.
1: So, um, you know, just wanted to kind of touch base, you know, um, obviously 2022 Ironman World Championship. You've had kind of, you know, all a really, um, is complicated the right word for 2023?
2: There have definitely been several highs and lows. I think when you're coming off, I thought when I you know came off this big kind of victory and life moment in 2022, you think it's all up from here. And I've been in this game long enough that I should know better. That's not how this works. Um, uh, sport doesn't owe you anything. Kona doesn't owe me anything. And, you know, it kind of bothers me when people say, like, oh, you really deserve to win. Like, no one deserves anything. Um, But this whole season has been about Kona and repeating in Kona. And the year has been challenging. But every single time I kind of had another speed bump, I would think it's fine. Like, it's all about Kona. This is another growth opportunity, and all that really needs to happen is I need to get myself in a place to nail my big trading block leading into world champs. And so despite a lot of the obstacles that I maybe faced, um, I remained optimistic for sure.
1: Yeah, and I mean, even backing up you know, after your world championship win, right, then, you know through the course of the off season one of the major kind of talking points was the new york times article that um you had come out and you've been very open and transparent about your challenges like i suppose one question is like being the reigning world champion like did you feel any sense of like Obligation or need to talk about that to use your opportunity as to be able to have a platform um, to talk more openly about it?
2: I think I feel a sense of responsibility as a global citizen. And I come from a very service minded family and triathlon in particular at the professional level, long distance. Racing can be a very selfish pursuit. We train up to 30 plus hours a week. We're super tired. Everything is about optimizing performance. And that has always bothered me to a certain level because I feel like maybe I'm not giving back to my community in the way that I would like to. And I felt, I felt yeah, a certain responsibility to help make things better for future generations to leave the sport, women's sport better than I found it, you know, like backing up even further. When I first found out I was pregnant, I had so much fear. That was one of my initial feelings. When I found out that I was pregnant, I had so much fear about like telling my partners and that's not what you should. That's no. not what you should feel when you know you when you find out that like you're going to be welcoming a child into the world especially like in our case you know, we wanted to get pregnant and we wanted to start a family and I don't want other women to feel that I want them to have maternity protection. I want them to like know their value and I want their partners to know how valuable they are. And so I've tried to be really open and transparent about my experiences, um, with the hope that maybe other women won't have to kind of deal with the same things that I have.
1: And I mean, uh, you know, just, in general right like there's a reason why the phrase triathlon widow exists as nomenclature right because you know even you know at an age group level like if you're training really well for either a 70.3 or a full like i mean it can can be all consuming and it is kind of that selfish pursuit and it comes at a high toll and cost in a lot of ways so You know, it's just it's interesting to hear kind of that focus on service, Um, you know, from a familial background, you know, kind of what is that service orientation that you had sort of growing up and kind of before your triathlon career?
2: Yeah, so my mom started med school when I was one and had my brother During med school, and then kind of started practicing when I was five or six. And so I've had a front row seat to seeing this amazing woman try to balance a super high level career and family. And, you know, my dad was a high school teacher, my brother is a special tactics officer in the Air Force, and my husband is a trained firefighter. So You know, the people in my immediate circle are really passionate about serving others.
1: And I mean, I think it's, it's an interesting pivot, right, where you have, as a high level athlete, the opportunity to kind of give back to our own little community. And I think that's kind of like the the interesting place to sort of operate in. Um, And we'll get back to sort of like some of the work that you're doing kind of in a moment. But um, I did want to sort of like dovetail through the 2023 season a little bit. So you had a really impressive result notion side, and then um, really kind of, I feel like the, the first big build of the year was really into Roth. Um Yeah. And- <laughs>
2: You know, know Eric was there. Yeah, It's so funny. Um, Man, I feel like I had some real near misses this year and every single race that I entered was, you know, maybe close to a world championship level field Mm -hmm. barring Oceanside, but Oceanside was still, you know, stacked as ever. And I, I kind of, I, I, you know, was open about my mental health struggles. Kind of got my act together a few weeks before Oceanside, so I think I had maybe like three weeks of training leading into that, and it was a solid day, but you know, not lights out. I thought it was a great starting point to the year, given my off season, and then um, picked up an injury leading into Ibiza, and so that was um, a real bummer of a day. That was, you know, the first race on kind of a grand stage of the season and then regrouped, got healthy, headed up to um, St. Moritz to do a big training block there. I had the the best time training with my coach Dan Plews and um, Jan van Berkel, who's become a really dear friend. All of our families were up, you know, in the Swiss Alps uh, playing triathlon and got myself in in really good shape. And I think that I was on pace to go 8.15 through 25K of the marathon, maybe. Um, I had started to have some some stomach issues leading into Roth, but I just, you know, as you do when you're close to an event, you don't think much of it. And um, that caught up to me during the race. Um, my husband pulled me off the course that, 32k and we found out that I had E coli when I got home. So, it's tough to race a marathon when you have E coli unfortunately. So, um I went through this whole process of like figuring that out, repairing my gut and started working with this new strength coach in Rio named Matt Pandola who really helped me rebuild my body. I like lost a lot of weight and muscle with the whole E coli situation. And Next was Singapore, and I was third there, which was fine. You know, it, I always want to win when I go to these things, but I wasn't perfect, and you have to be pretty close to perfect when you're racing fields like that. But again, I thought, okay, this is a solid result. I have eight weeks till Kona. You know, it's kind of perfect timing to be getting my shit together. And, um, and then I had like an awesome, an awesome build leading into Kona. I was really excited about um, what that could look like for me, and picked up another injury two weeks out. So, like, I think the last thing I ever want to do is is make excuses and say the reason I didn't have you know an insane race in Kona is because I got injured. But you know, the the thing about this game is that and a talent is staying healthy. It's not like, you know, it's not like, um, an excuse. It's like, I did it. I wasn't able to pull that off. You know, I pushed the limits in training because I really wanted to see what was possible. And I went over, over that line. So, uh, you know, I learned, I learned a lot. I had, you know, a ton of, Um, character building opportunities this year. I think my team and I learned a ton about, you know, uh, what I can handle and how we'll approach things moving forward. So from that perspective, I feel like really good about the people that I work with. It's kind of the first time where I felt like I have this really professional, cohesive setup. So I'm super optimistic about the future of course when you win a world title the only result that is really really fun <laughs> is winning again yeah. and that's a challenging place to be in right like that's a new level of pressure that i haven't experienced before um and something that i'm still learning to manage but you know that all being said i am like proud of my performance in Kona. It wasn't what I wanted, but, you know, someone said to me, um, one thing that makes a true champion is the ability to fight until the very end, even when you know the win has slipped out of your grasp. And so while it wasn't the result that we wanted, I think that it will be a career defining moment for me and really help, um, you know, us pivot to this next phase of, you know, preparing for Nice and taking on another season.
0: Chelsea, I think that's the attitude you got to have. You know, we see it, you know, as journalists and, and media that are there at the races, we, we see it all too often where, you know, and, and, and as athletes, obviously not professional athletes but as athletes in the sport we can relate with the disappointment that we feel when we're in a race and things aren't going the way that we hoped but from an outsider looking in we can always also see too the things that are kind of unfolding in the race that you guys necessarily don't know or thinking about when you're there and it was it was really it was really cool to see you just dig in in that marathon and not and not give up, um, you know, and, it, and and I was um, I was inspired by a lot of performances that day, but I was particularly inspired by yours because of our of our friendship and our relationship and, you know, running into Steve on the race course and, you know, and, and, and all those things. Right. And so, um, you know, you just can't ever give up you know, you just, you just can't, cause you don't know what's going to happen. Like you just don't. And so, um, you know, it, it just kudos to you for that particular, um, you know, result because you, you earned it. Like you, you earned, it wasn't like the goal, but maybe the goal was just to go through that, you know, ultimately to prove to yourself that no matter what, like you can just dive in and just keep going and get to that finish line. And, Uh, And, you know, and, and have that in your, in your pain bank, you know, for future use.
2: Absolutely. And I will say that Kona this year was so much harder than Kona last year. You know, last year I had, I had this magical race where, you know, you don't get those days very often where you have the mind body connection and things come to you and the luck pendulum swings in your favor. You know, it was kind of the opposite of that. This year, And I think it would have been really easy to say like, look, not having my day, my knee doesn't feel right. Like I'm going to jog it in or I'm going to pull the plug. And I think maybe six months ago, I would have done that. But I've done a lot of work. My team has done a lot of work to help prepare me both like physically and mentally for this thing. And, and it was, yeah, a real, a real growth experience. (laughs)
1: Yeah. And I mean, I I think going back to sort of the point you made earlier about, you know, really pushing your limits. I mean, this was a year where you absolutely had to in order to kind of have a result in Kona. Like a woman went under nine hours and didn't get a paycheck. Like (laughs) you had to absolutely be on the rivet um, in, in order to kind of, come through and so like to still kind of like dig in at that point like that's mindset that's going to be mission critical um at any world championship caliber race going forward
2: yeah and i hope that you know people are noticing how exceptional how professional you have to be on the women's side we are not messing around. You know, I think that it used to be the situation where you could just time trial your way through this thing. It was a solo mission and, and it is not that anymore. There are race dynamics. The swim is becoming even more important. You have to be just phenomenal across swim, bike, run, and you can't have a weakness anymore, but what a show, you know, we're putting on for the fans.
0: Yeah. And particularly with the fact that, you know, you've got your own race now, which is which is awesome, yeah. you know, um, and it's and it's 100% completely yours from from a world championship. And so it it is it it's, it brings a whole new level and, and all sorts of newness to what we were all used to. And, um, you know, we we said it on the podcast a couple of weeks ago where, you know, it was really cool to see the women show up to their day because, you know, they wanted it for a long time. And, you know, you, you see sometimes where somebody wants something and they can, and they, and they strive for it and then they get it and they don't really, you find out really quick that they didn't really want it, but like the women truly wanted their own day because when they got it, they showed up and they rocked it. And it was really cool to see.
2: Absolutely. And I, you know, I know it has been controversial and i see both sides to the argument but you know the the climate is evolving and we're getting more media attention we're getting more resources and i really believe in this idea that like if you build it we will come i think that the us women's open final got more viewership than the men's final and we see what happened um, in Australia and New Zealand, with the Women's World Cup, they were packing stadiums. We just need the opportunity. and um we need to have the spotlight. We need to have the course to ourselves so that you know our race isn't uh, we don't have interference um, from you know, the men's professional side and the men's amateur side. We're often kind of caught in the middle of that and and when we do have, our stage, we shine.
0: So post-Kona, talk to us about that. What have you been up to? Like, <laughs> oh my you, gosh. You, you've just gone through this, right? And then you get home and it's just like, I can't imagine the, I mean, I was exhausted after Kona. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like to be you and, you know, packing up the thousand things of luggage and going home and, you know, all those things. What What's that like? What's that been like?
2: Yeah, it was such an emotionally charged couple months leading into Kona. You know, no stone was unturned in in the prep, so we were really excited to have a break. My coach Dan Pluz was Doctor Dan Pluz was racing Ironman California a week after Kona, so we decided to go hang out with his family and talk about triathlon for one more week. But unfortunately. Um, I got some sort of flu and then a stomach bug. So I was basically like in bed for, for a week. I think when you kind of tax your body, uh, like you do in an Ironman, you're super vulnerable to, to getting sick. So that was, that was a bummer, but we're finally home now. And it's been, it's been really great to just chill and get some family time and then do some some things on the other side of swimming, biking, and running that, you know, go into making this whole operation happen, like, um, some sponsor obligations and then also starting to think about next season and plan for that.
0: How much time do you take off? Do you <laughs> like, what's your retro? I mean, obviously you were, you were forced a little bit yeah. more than normal. Right. But generally speaking, like, are you like a, I don't do anything for two weeks, ten days, a week, three weeks. You get back into it. Last year, I took a
2: lot. Last year, I took a lot of time off. It took me a long time to get to get going again. I think I was feeling more excited to get back to work this time around, really motivated. So I probably would have done a little swim or jog or something that first week, but I got sick, so that that forced me to rest. I think I took a total of 10 days off and that would have really been difficult for me five or six years ago, but it's not as hard for me anymore because, uh, I have this other little person in my life who, um, I really enjoy spending time with. And when I'm not training, I get to do her whole morning routine with her and, um, do fun park dates and coffee dates. We um, have this great cafe in Reno and she'll ask me if we can go on a date to get muffins. So, so that sort of thing, just kind of enjoying our home and the things we like to do here.
0: That's awesome. So, all right. So, so Chelsea, one of the reasons why, um, you know, we were excited to have you on, on the podcast amongst many was, um, you know, kind of going back to. What you started earlier when when having a conversation of um the importance that you feel to give back to the community um this you know selfish sport that we all do and um and how that that can be a little draining from us uh, emotionally and you know and you and you've been very you've been very vocal about things um throughout your career and and being able to give back and you know, Ryan talked a little bit about the New York Times article. And I got to be honest, like my wife doesn't generally care about what's going on in, in my world um, because, you know, she hears it all the time. Um, but I remember the day when she saw your article on the New York Times and she instantly became more interested in what I was doing from a work perspective, because she instantly became a fan of you uh, based on that article and the story that you told. And, and so it, you know, I think, you know, you're, you're don't ever give up on that. Like, just, just, I don't care if you get a lot of grief from some people about how open you are about things. Like I'm telling you right now, like, don't stop, right? Like just keep, keep being you because people are out there and they're listening and they need to hear it. And, and it's fantastic. And, you know, one of the things that, that you're, that you, you, you're doing with um you know, your, your audience now is um you know, and you teamed up with Wahoo and Canyon and you know, we, we went to a press release in Kona about it, but you, you're working with an organization called and mother. um And, I, and we wanted to give you an opportunity to kind of talk about that and uh, bring some light on it and, Um, you know, and just what's going on there. Give, give, give us the, the inside scoop.
2: Yeah, well, that's so kind, Eric, and, and means a lot because, you know, the being vulnerable and open about, you know, the things that I navigate is certainly a double-edged sword and has, um, opened me up to a lot of criticism. But on, on the other side of that is the connections that I've made. And I I um I really feel a lot of camaraderie with um with other moms in sport and and beyond. And I think that the things that I have experienced are not unique to me. And what I have learned through navigating motherhood and then getting back to work is that this country is not really set up for us. Um, I talked about some of the mental health struggles that I had postpartum, some of the like feeding issues that my daughter had that were quite scary. I have a lot of, you know, I'm a middle class white woman and I, I have like a lot of resources and it was seemingly impossible for me to get like a therapist on the phone and it was really hard to find like the right help for my daughter. And, you know, I ended up paying out of pocket for a lot of these things and had to advocate for myself to this whole nother level that I had, I had never experienced like in the medical world. And, um, you know, childcare has been like so hard for us to find. We've gone through like I don't know. I don't even want to get into it, but like essentially, we made the family decision for my husband to leave his job this year because we couldn't find sustainable childcare. And that's a massive privilege, but I don't think that it should have to be that way. Um, and Mother is this amazing organization um, that was founded by my college teammate, Alicia Montaño. She's an Olympian. Multiple-time U.S. champion in the 800 meters, the talent of a generation, who um, who did this op-ed with the New York Times several years ago called "Dream Maternity." She helped expose, along with you know Allison Felix and Kara Goucher, she helped expose um, some of the shortfallings in the sponsorship shoe industry where you know, these female athletes didn't have maternity protection. And her answer to this is and mother, what they do is they um, give grants to postpartum female athletes. They advocate for um, legislative change to help with maternal rights and maternal health. They also um, work to get lactation stations and free childcare at races and events. And they consult with companies to help them develop maternity protection policies in their contracts. And, you know, I know that I'm like directly benefiting from some of this work. They've given grants to athletes like Gwen Jorgensen and Sarah True. I think all of your listeners will know who those amazing women are. And so much of the attention at the world championships is about the bikes. Because they're really awesome and everyone wants to know what sort of equipment we're running on race day. And I thought, as Defending Champion, there's going to be a lot of attention on my beautiful Canyon, Speedmax, CFR. And what if we can also talk about another cause beyond just what I'm going to be running on race day. Canyon has just been an incredible partner of mine I'm so proud to work with them. They have really championed me as an athlete and a mother, and they were gracious enough to do this incredible paint job and also um, bring to life this sweepstakes with me where we will be giving away um, an identical bike to what I rode in Kona and the proceeds raised through that will be going and mother, so it's been a really, really fun project. There's been so much um, work and love that has gone into it. Um, I work with this the artist, the painter at Canyon. Her name is um, Sina, and she is. If you look at the bike, you'll understand how talented she is. It's hand painted in this rainbow explosion design um, that we've we've named it, and and I'm I'm just really, really proud of that
0: so how's it going i mean so we're kind of closing up on the end which is why we kind of wanted to jump on this and just do a a final like hopefully a big push for you but do we know how much money has been raised so far is there a goal like what are we talking here
2: yeah i don't know exactly what the count is right now and um my whole vision with this was um i'd like to i don't I you know we are doing the sweepstakes to give you know the this money to Ann Mother and you know they can put that where they want it but my vision was like what if we could raise a few more grants for athletes and so I think I think we're over um over 10k at this point but I would you know I'd be really happy if we could get it up to at least 15k and um you know that would be I think like three more of these change Maker grants.
0: That's awesome. Well, I'm gonna get on and and actually donate today. Ryan, you gonna donate?
2: Thanks, Eric. Definitely.
0: And then and then if we win, if Ryan and I win somehow, which we probably won't, but if we do, we're gonna re auction it again just for shits and giggles.
2: Well, that would be cool. Um yeah, we we have this really great program where watch, you can donate. Watch. Now I- we like
0: now we like we actually like win and there's going to be like some conspiracy theory about how it was like a rigged thing
2: <laughs> yeah well i mean it's it'll be like a random drawing the really great thing is that you can enter as little or as much as you want so you can enter a dollar and that gives you one entry or eric you could enter slow twitch could enter five like submit five thousand dollars and that would give you five thousand entries <laughs> and, and the the odds would be good <laughs>
0: it's a business read off and a charitable donation it's so many things uh, <laughs> so chelsea what's next for you
2: yeah i uh, i'm really excited about next season we're still we're still in the the planning phase but i'm i'm hoping to get started quite early with the year i want to have have some fun before like really hitting it hard and in April or so there will be, you know, lots of great racing opportunities next season with the new Ironman series. And then of course the PTO. So there will be no shortage of high level opportunities.
0: I know. What are you, what are you going to do? Like, (laughs) Some big decisions going on I know. In your world, it, is, right
2: it is a big decision and I think it's really easy to get caught up in it all and to sit to overcommit. but I think moving forward you know as it has been the last couple of years my focus will be the Ironman World Championships that's what really inspires me that's what fires me up and so we'll build the season backwards from there to have my best possible day in Nice. And I am getting so excited about Nice. I wasn't really sure how I felt about racing there originally, but after watching the men's race, um, and then kind of thinking about this new challenge and all of the skills that will come into it, I'm, I'm getting really, really excited about it.
0: Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. Absolutely, It's going to be way cool. We, we weren't able to go to Nice this year just because poor Ryan got sick with the COVID before he was supposed oh. to go over there. Um, but we will be in Nice this year and we'll also be in Kona this year. Um, but Chelsea, thanks so much for taking the time to come ramble with these two guys on this podcast and all of our slow Twitcher uh, listeners. Um, that care about bikes a great deal. And so they better pony up and show their care for bikes by trying to get this one. Um, Everybody, we will have uh, an article up. You'll probably see this on the homepage. There will be links in the description on this podcast of where you can go to find out more information, not only about Chelsea, but also and mother and everything closes pretty soon. So you got a couple of days. You got to, you got to listen to the podcast. You got to read the article and you got to act soon if you want a chance to win her Canyon bike. So uh, Chelsea, thanks again. We appreciate you being on the podcast.
2: Thanks so much, guys. It's been a real pleasure. And yeah.
0: Ryan.
1: Thanks, Chelsea. <laughs> See. Ya.